0: This Radio Orbit exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM Columbia out there, or good morning to you, wherever you might be. This is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's more than radio. It's your listener-sponsored community radio, KOPN, serving Columbia in all points around Mid-Missouri. And if you haven't heard this program before, thanks for tuning in. This is Radio Orbit. I'll be with you Uh, For the next three hours, it's 2 o'clock in the morning now, and we'll be going until uh, about 5 o'clock, where the lovely Miss Carol Greenspan will take over and play some lovely music for you for another couple hours. And uh, speaking of lovely women playing lovely music, uh, thanks to Gail Shen, as always. Uh, Gail playing some beautiful rhythm and blues for us, as always, on Saturday nights. Heart and soul coming to you from... Midnight until 2. And uh, Gail playing great stuff as always. Thanks, Gail, for that. And, uh, well, sort of radio by the fly tonight. I didn't prepare very well for this program, and I actually slept too late. Uh, Before I came in, I barely got here on time uh, to get things going because my stupid alarm clock... See, I'll blame it on the alarm clock. I will never blame it on the human being who programmed the alarm clock. So, at any rate, uh, my alarm clock was not set correctly, and it uh, didn't do its job as I would have liked it, and it actually, the alarm went off, I just couldn't hear it. So, anyway, the old internal alarm clock proved to be foolproof and woke me up in the nick of time, and uh, I was able to shuffle down here and get on the air just in time, so at any rate... um, We'll, uh, we'll see how things go tonight. As I said, I don't have a whole lot planned. We were going to do uh, the show with Rick Strassman tonight. As you uh, uh, may remember, I was going to air an interview that I did a couple weeks ago with Dr. Rick Strassman, the author of DMT, The Spirit Molecule. And uh, I actually had that interview on, uh, on tape. It's been recorded, but uh, in another uh, lackadaisical uh, disrespect for my responsibilities here to my program. I didn't uh, do the edit as quickly as I wanted to. I didn't get the show edited, so uh, you're not going to hear that tonight either. So, as you hear the explosion in the background of the beginning of the Dark Side of the Moon CD, so that's the explosion here. Uh, basically, I have no program tonight, or no plan, I guess. Uh, We will always have the program. So, in fact, uh, we'll just sort of wing it tonight, uh, do some fun stuff. I have some stories to talk about, of course. Uh, um, uh, We'll do space weather like we always do in a few minutes here. And uh, there's plenty to talk about. So, uh, with that in mind, if you guys have anything that you'd like to talk about, no reason why we can't take a few phone calls tonight and talk to some people. So, if you're up for that, uh, you can always reach me here at the station I'll give you a couple different phone numbers and tell you what they are. The uh, first one is area code 573-443-8255. If you want to get on the air uh, sometime later this evening, call on that number. That's area code 573-443-8255. And if you have anything you want to talk about or chat about or questions you want to ask or whatever, uh, give me a call and I'll put you on the air and we can talk. Uh, if you just want to uh, talk with me, privately uh you can call on the studio line that's area code 573-874-5676 and if you're not in the uh 573 area code you can reach me at 1-800-895-5676 that's 1-800-895-KOPN all right uh so that's what's going on this is mike hagan you're listening to radio orbit and uh, we'll get on with it here okay as i said we're going to postpone the uh, uh, the Rick Strassman interview. And I'll tell you, I have sort of another reason for doing that. I have some sort of big news uh, to uh, share with uh, my listeners out there tonight. And uh, that big news is that uh, in a couple of weeks, actually a week from Monday, um, I'm going to be moving the show. The show is going to go uh, Monday nights from 11 to 2. We're going to be taking over that uh, that time slot, and next Saturday, the 19th, or the 20th, I guess it is, will be, for the most part, the last Saturday night uh, that we do Radio Orbit. Uh, Orbit's going to be moving into uh, Monday evenings, 11 o'clock until 2 a.m. Uh, a little bit of a better time slot for uh, for my particular program, um, and uh, some of the people here at the station thought that it would be a, a positive change as far as uh, a number of listeners and this sort of thing. So uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to miss doing the Saturday night show. Uh, two to five is a little bit of a stretch sometimes. It's not the easiest thing to do every week, but it's a great, uh, it's a great time slot, and there's a lot of really interesting people uh, that are up and listening at this time of the night. Uh, I call them the day sleepers. And so for all the day sleepers out there, uh, I hope that you uh, will still be able to tune in on Monday nights from 11 p.m. until 2 a.m., which is uh, the time slot that we'll be moving the show, uh, the show to in just a couple of weeks, okay? So uh, with regard to that uh, Rick Strassman interview, I wanted, to, I wanted some more people to be able to hear that, so I think I'm just going to hold off on it for a week or two. Uh, we've got Cheryl Clapton who's going to be live in the studio next week if you're not familiar with Cheryl she performed this afternoon at the Luna Fair uh, a wonderful event uh, talking about great women what a bunch of cool stuff going on uh, down at the uh, uh, at the Luna Fair this afternoon and uh, uh, and this morning and i guess into this evening but tons of great music and uh, art in general just uh, the creative uh, the creative juices flowing there uh, incredibly freely today so lots of really neat stuff so I appreciate uh, um, all the uh, the men and women that were involved with that uh, in particular Half the Sky Productions and uh, some of the other great people that were involved with Luna Fair so anyway that was a great event and as I said Cheryl Clapton uh, performed one of many performers that uh, played today at Luna Fair but at any rate uh, Cheryl will be here on the program next week we'll be doing a live show uh, talking with Cheryl about Lots of different things about sort of her life in general she 's had a really interesting life, and she has a great story to tell and we 're going to do that and we 're also going to be playing some live music and uh, uh, and some not live music as well I imagine so next week, uh, very interesting actually in a wonderful uh, a wonderful little bit of synchronicity, uh, the Monday night slot that i 'm slipping into. Uh, that Orbit is going to take over that 11 to 2 a.m. slot on Monday. Uh, that used to be Cheryl Clapton's spot. And uh, Cheryl recently got a real paying gig at uh, one of the radio stations here in the area. And so she had to, uh, uh, for, uh, for good reason, move on to her new program. And uh, she had a couple of spots that she did here on KOPN, and those those spots opened up. One of those was Monday evening. Uh, which I will be taking over so uh it's great uh it'll be a great little transitionary show and a great uh, little uh honorary piece for uh, for Cheryl to thank her for everything that she's done here at the station and uh to wish her the best of luck in her new uh, her new um, uh, position. Here in uh, in the area, and uh, Cheryl's still going to be helping out here at the station quite a bit. She just won't be able to be as uh, as involved as she used to. So so next week we've got Cheryl. She'll be on the air, and uh, it should be a real fun show. And she'll actually be here live in the studio with me. Okay, a um, couple of uh, mentions. Speaking of music, last night uh, was down at the Blue Note, and I saw a great show. A band called Donna the Buffalo, and uh, uh, playing some great groovy music. Down there at the Blue Note last night and was lucky enough to hang out down there for a while and get to listen to the band. Thanks if you're out there for playing. We appreciate you guys coming through town and stopping in and playing. It was a great experience for anybody who was lucky enough to be there at the show. Uh, Tonight, uh, some great music going on as well. I think uh, Split Lip uh, over there at the Blue Note. And uh, to uh, my friends who I was hoping to meet down there, I apologize that I wasn't able to. Uh, to sneak in there before the show tonight, but uh, you know how it goes. And I'm sure it was my loss, not yours. I'm sure that uh, split-lip Rayfield show over there at the Blue Note was incredible tonight. So lots of great stuff going on. Uh, Richard King and uh, all the people down there at the Blue Note and at Mojo's and some of the other places in town doing a great job bringing wonderful live music to uh, Columbia now uh, for 25 years now. So really pleased about those relationships and uh, that we're doing more and more things uh, to promote and to be involved with the live music scene here in town. All right, so uh, we'll, um, we'll do space weather and uh, talk about some uh, uh, geological events and uh, some of the volcanism and uh, earthquake activity that we've seen in the last week, which has been quite extensive. There's not a whole lot to talk about on space weather this week, uh, but... Man, up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, things are shaking like uh, shaking, shaking it up up there. There were some some 3,000 earthquakes uh, in a very uh, short period of time. I think uh, within 24 to 36 hours back on Wednesday and Thursday. And of course, uh, our good friend Kent Steadman up there in the Seattle area, uh, he was getting uh, getting rock and rolled up there. And uh, had some inter- interesting comments uh, from me early in the week. And, and I don't know, maybe later tonight we'll have to see. You, know, you never know with Kent. He's usually up and about. Speaking of day sleepers, he's usually up and about this time of night. So if uh, if I can get a hold of him later, maybe we'll get him on the air and get a live report from Seattle to find out what's happening up there. Mount St. Helens, of course, also um, popping her top this week. Uh, a pretty large explosion, uh, and eruption, again, just a few days ago, sort of corresponding with this uh, Uh, with this earthquake activity that we're seeing up there, and we're also seeing some really interesting activity off uh, off the coast uh, of the Pacific Northwest uh, and off the the Pacific Coast in general uh, in the uh, Pacific Basin there, uh, some more interesting geologic activity. activity, And, uh, you know, we call that the ring of fire uh, that circles all around the California coast up uh, through the Pacific Northwest over and around Alaska and then back down around the uh, uh, the western or the eastern uh, shorelines of the Asian continent and back down around uh, Australia, and New Zealand. Anyway, there's a big uh, sort of a circular area that, uh, at least uh, during the l- during the most recent uh, epoch that human beings have been watching things, it's been quite an active area uh, and has been dubbed the so-called Ring of Fire because of the uh, the tremendous uh, level of Volcanic and uh, and geologic activity there, so so we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. In the meantime, let's play a little music. We'll get things going here with uh, Natalie Merchant. This is called San Andreas Fault. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. This is Mike Hagen, and it's uh, just about 2:20 in the a.m. Back in just a few. Uh, That was Lucinda Williams from a great compilation called Sweet Relief. That was a song called Main Road. And before that, we heard Natalie Merchant with San Andreas Fault from Tiger Lily. And this is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Let's do uh, space weather here in just a minute. I wanted to mention a couple other things, though. Um, uh, Local music, there's a... a lot of great uh, music being played around the area, and I wanted to help support some of that. We've had a lot of people coming up here in the studio and doing some recording and doing some interviews and chatting and stuff. And uh, there's a great, uh, uh, talented young guy in town. His name is Israel Gripka, and uh, Israel and I are, uh, have been talking. And even though we're going to be moving the show around to um, to another time spot, he's going to be on the air here uh, with me sometime in, in the next few weeks, uh, playing some of his own live music, and uh, we'll be talking with him to find out what... What he's all about and uh, uh, what he's got in mind for music here uh, in the Columbia area. Uh, thanks to everybody out there uh, for the emails that you've sent. Uh, I appreciate the notes that you send, and I read them all and uh, try to incorporate that stuff into the program. If you ever have a question, if you ever have a comment, if you ever have a concern, uh, something that you'd like me to know, you can always reach me via email, and uh, you can do that at Orbit Radio, O R B I T R A D I O at AOL.com. That's orbit Radio at AOL.com. All right, uh, and before uh, I mention the phone numbers, we'll do that one more time. Uh, if you want to get on the air, we'll be taking calls tonight. Anybody who wants to give me a call and chat, uh, you can do that. Area code 573-443-8255. That's the call-in line. And uh, give me a call and i get you on the air and you can mention anything you like as long as it's with, uh, within the uh, the guidelines of the federal communications commission who likes to watch us pretty closely here okay all right uh also hello to everybody listening over the web the uh broadcast won't change uh, except the uh the web uh, archives will probably go up a couple days later than they normally do but the show will be on monday nights and uh, the archives will probably be up on tuesday or wednesday something like that so really no different for people that are listening over the web only uh only for local and regional listeners here okay um The uh, other phone number here in the station, if you just want to call me in the studio, is area code 573-874-5676. Or uh, if you're outside of 573, uh, call me at 1-800-895-5676. I've got a couple things to give away tonight, too. I've got some tickets uh, uh, for Regina Carter, incredible uh, electric fiddle player. Uh, I guess you'd sort of put her in the jazz uh, category, but she really... Uh, really, sort of uh, covers quite a bit more than that. Just an incredibly talented lady, uh, uh, Regina Carter was supposed to play here about a week and a half ago, and I actually had tickets for it uh, then, but the show got uh, postponed and moved, and I'm not even sure when the actual date is. But uh, I can uh, uh, certainly make uh, make sure that we get that straight. But I've got the tickets, and so uh, I'll give me a call here sometime when I put on some music on that uh, on that studio line at eight seven four five six seven six. And uh, I'll set you up with those tickets for Regina Carter. And I've got, I've also, I also have tickets for something else. Uh, Julie sent me an email and said uh, that she had some other things. And I don't even know what it is. But I have some other tickets available uh, for another show or two that are coming up here uh, in the next couple of weeks or so. So uh, as the night progresses, if you're interested in any of that stuff, just call me and... Uh, And I'll see what I can do. All right? Okay, let's do space weather real fast here. As I said, not a whole lot uh, interesting going on. Uh, The sun pretty quiet for the last week or two and uh, not a whole lot of flare or um, coronal mass ejection activity, anything like that. Uh, It's sort of interesting, actually, because uh, I mentioned that we have seen a tremendous amount of earthquake uh, activity up in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, a lot of times I like to uh, keep my eye on that stuff uh, with the sun uh, in the other eye and uh, see if there are correlations between those two things because in the past I've seen that uh, significant solar activity is very frequently um, uh, followed up uh, upon by significant geologic activity as well. And uh, interestingly, this week uh, we didn't really see anything like that, but we had tons and tons of quakes and uh, all, co- all kinds of weird signatures showing up on the monitors and on the... Uh, uh, the different, uh, uh, the different websites that monitor this sort of stuff that we watch. Lots of really sort of unexplainable stuff when it comes to that. So we'll talk about that a little bit in uh, just a minute. But uh, as far as space weather, a couple things I wanted to mention to you. Um, uh, as I said, nothing too uh, uh, outrageous happening on our star right now, so we won't spend a whole lot of time talking about the sun. Um, but uh, this weekend in the next couple of days is also a great time of the year to see the planet Mercury if you uh if you step outside around sunset uh, when the sun's going down in the evenings uh certainly for the next few nights <clears throat> and uh and on into next week mercury if you look toward the west mercury will be a real bright quote unquote star uh that looks uh like it's kind of you'll actually see it uh, glowing through through the sunset it won't be very far uh removed from the setting sun in the west, and you can uh, you can check that out. So Mercury will be sort of rising just as the sun sets in the west over the next uh, few days, the next week or so. Now, uh, as Mercury is doing that, if you turn around and face sort of the opposite direction toward the southwest, there is an even brighter star there, and that is the star Sirius. And uh, Sirius will be... Uh, jumping out of the twilight sky just uh uh, just before it gets dark uh, sort of about the same time that mercury will be seen in the west you can look toward toward the southwest and sirius will be about the brightest star that you see in the sky uh rising up there in the southwest and has a pretty interesting history uh the star sirius it's nicknamed the dog star and uh uh, there are probably a number of reasons for that, but I've always found it really interesting. Actually, uh, in particular, well, you know, uh, it, it it has it has deep roots in in mythology. Sirius does. First of all, it it's the the star in the in the sky that represents the goddess Isis, and uh, uh, of course, uh, a direct relationship to Osiris there as well. And uh, the ancient uh, Egyptians believed that. Uh, Sirius was a very important point up in the heavens. And uh, Sirius is actually a binary star. There are two stars. There's Sirius A and Sirius B. And uh, here's an interesting story about that. Uh, Sirius A was uh, um, has been known about for many, many years. Of course, it's a very bright star and has been, as I said before, the, the, the subject and the center of... Of a tremendous amount of uh, of mythology over the millennia um now Sirius a has a partner has a uh, uh a another star that circles it well they circle they circle one another i guess they call these things binary systems and when you have a binary system, you have two stars that uh sort of do a dance up there in the heavens and uh, just roll around one another and they have these uh these Orbits that uh, that just keep them sort of circling each other. Well, Sirius is one of these binary systems, and the interesting thing about it is that uh, Sirius B is a much smaller and uh, and a, a less bright star than Sirius A. In fact, it's it's uh, it's so dim that it wasn't discovered by telescope until. Oh, uh, I want to say the late 1700s, and it may have even been into the 1800s. Now, the reason that that's interesting, and, and uh, quite frankly, the, the, uh, the date of the telescopic discovery is not that, not that relevant, because the rest of the story is the interesting part. Sirius uh, um, has been uh, a star that has been a very central part of the mythology of the Dogon people. In Africa, now the Dogon are uh, an indigenous tribe in Central Africa who have been there for many, many thousands of years, pretty much undisturbed by the West or undisturbed by by the march of the marketplace and colonialism and all these things that have happened over the last few hundred years. But uh, the Dogon uh, are still uh, pretty much as they were uh, thousands of years ago, in the, uh, in the jungles of Africa. Now, they've been uh, uh, domesticated, so to speak, uh, uh, to a certain extent, uh, but the Dogon, much of their oral tradition and much of their uh, historical mythology remains. And it is an astounding story. And uh, part of that story has to do with the star Sirius. And uh, the, I told you before that the star Sirius, we have a nickname for it called the Dog Star. And uh, the reason that it's called the Dog Star, uh, the exoteric uh, reason, is that it is the the star that represents the nose of the dog, Canis Major, which is the constellation up there in the heavens that we call Canis Major. And uh, Canis Major is supposed to be uh, represented up in the heavens as the dog of Osiris. This was the companion of Osiris in the heavens. And the star Sirius is the, uh, is the nose of, uh, of this dog, of Orion's dog, Canis Major. Uh, in addition, and more on an esoteric level, uh, I think it's pretty interesting that the Dogon uh, begin their name D-O-G-O-N, uh, the Dogon. And of course, the Dog Star Sirius being the central point of the Dogon mythology. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the real interesting about the Do- uh, interesting thing about the Dogon. Uh, for many thousands of years, uh, the Dogon have talked about a companion to Sirius A, and uh, it's in the mythology. It's in their oral tradition, and they talk very plainly about two stars. Being involved in the Sirius system, not one. And uh, I guess uh, the simple question then becomes, how did they know? How did they know that Sirius B was there? And uh, as I said, it's very clear that they knew it was there. And in fact, even uh, even uh, men of science have uh, admitted. And uh, discuss the fact that the Dogon did know this, of course, they all just uh, uh, brush it off to coincidence or something like this. And of course, I'll remind you that P.W. Bridgman, many years ago, uh, a philosopher of science, made the very poignant observation that a coincidence is what you have left over after you've, ablo- after you've applied a bad theory. And I would say this is a perfect uh, example of that. They missed something. So uh, once again, the indigenous people showing us that they might not be uh, uh, these silly little primitive uh, peoples that that they've been taken by Western culture and Western science to be uh, for for going on two, three, four hundred years now. Uh, The science and the mythology and the History of these people are littered with incredible information and wondrous things that we can learn a whole lot for or learn a whole lot f- a whole lot from, I should say, and uh, all it takes is a little bit of open-mindedness and a little uh, a little uh adventurism in your mind and uh and an internet connection doesn't, hu- uh, doesn't hurt. All right so uh with uh with that in mind I'm going to read something here real fast. This is a this is a wonderful old poem by uh Robert Frost. And this is called Canis Major in honor of Sirius. So we'll read that real fast again. This is Canis Major by Robert Frost. The great overdog, that heavenly beast with a star in one eye. Gives a leap in the east. He dances upright all the way to the west and never once drops on his four feet to rest. I'm a poor underdog, but tonight I will bark with the great overdog that romps through the dark. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. This is Mike Hagan. We'll be back in a minute and uh, enjoy this. Allison Krauss on Radio Orbit. Hi. Mike you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, and it's Sunday morning, <clears throat> the 13th of March, and uh, while we're approaching that, uh, our spring equinox coming up in just a week or so, and uh, with that in mind, i got to give my friend Jeff Wheeler a plug And remind everybody that next Friday night at the Blue Note, that's the 19th of March, is uh, uh, the V9 presentation of C3, the Psychado Electric Orchestra. Uh, All those incredibly talented guys that are going to be performing uh, uh, down at the Blue Note next Friday night uh, in a KOPN benefit. So if you're interested in a really cool uh, talk about... uh, Seat of Your Pants radio, that's Seat of Your Pants music. These guys are fully um, uh, improvisational and uh, they practice together once in a while during the year, but uh, perform only four times a year on both of the equinoxes and both of the solstices. So the next performance will be V10, of course, uh, uh, coming up in June. Uh, but uh, after, of course, that's after this one that's just coming up next week. So uh, so C3, check them out next week at the Blue Note. It's a KOPN benefit, and there uh, should be a lot of really fun and cool people down there and just outrageously great music from uh, from Jeff and all the other guys that are going to be there. And I think uh, there's going to be some really neat uh, guest performances as well. As I think uh, John Sheffield, uh, internationally renowned uh, musician John Sheffield will be opening for C3 and also probably wouldn't be surprised if he gets on stage and performs a little bit with those guys and uh, also the return of Avid Darkly and for the long time KOPN listeners, people who know about the some of the deep dark past here, uh, Avid Darkly will be joining those guys back. So hey I got uh, somebody calling through here so let's uh, grab this phone call real fast and uh, then we'll get on with the business here. Hi, you're in orbit. Uh, What's going on? This is Mike. Who's this?
1: Hey, Mike. This is Bob Bolton, Jefferson City.
0: Hey, Bob. How's it going? Good. How are you? Pretty good. What's happening?
1: I've only been listening to your show briefly about the last four times, and it's an eye-opening, mind-bending experience, to say the least. (laughs) I'm really enjoying it.
0: Good. That makes me me feel good. I like to hear that. That's that's the idea here is we're trying to to do some things a little bit differently and talk about things that don't get talked about uh, uh, in the the mainstream, so to speak, you know?
1: Well, it's incredible. I'm one of those, I guess you would say, a rare individual who appreciates both science and the the mystical at the same time and has a lot of respect for for both disciplines, if you'd say that. I love the Terence McKenna piece you you had done uh, on Valentine's Day. Sure, that was really a, a wonderful thing. I, I what happens? I'm I'm usually not not up at this hour, but I tape it on my little player and I play it during the week. So it's uh, it's a way of kind of getting uh, getting caught up on on your program. One thing I I was curious about, it's sort of a pet subject of mine. Mm -hmm. Are you you on the Internet also? Do you have your your laptop there? Yeah, yeah,
0: I've got the web uh, up right now, actually.
1: Okay, because I sent you an email just about uh, five minutes ago. Uh, I'm really interested in this whole debate between evolution, creationism, and intelligent design. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And in going through your archives, I haven't really seen that you've really had much of a discussion of that. I'm just wondering if that's... Kind of a subject that you're interested in, and, and kind of what might be your take on that whole debate?
0: All right. Well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a, a real interesting topic actually that I do have a lot of interest in actually. And uh, hey, let me for, first let me say thanks for calling, and, and also, sure. and, and I'm going to keep you on the air here. We we can chat for a minute. Um, but uh, uh, the. The thing that you bring up originally is the key to this whole thing, I think. In other words, the the relationship between science and mysticism. Mm -hmm. And we have this idea that it's either or. And, yeah. and, and and the idea of uh, creationism versus uh, the evolutionary theory and this sort of thing it 's always a debate of whether it 's one or the other and i i sort of uh, I sort of fall down in between and I believe me too. You, you, you <laughs> right. know, and, and I think that really this is the, it, at least for me this is the answer because uh, evolution uh, and the scientific theory certainly we can prove that, uh, that evolution is happening now. In other words, mm-hmm. we, 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 can, we can show that, uh, uh, that um, bacteria and viruses and, and things that have uh, very short lifespans and can have many, many generations in a very short period of time. In the laboratory, we can show that these things actually do evolve and change over time. Right. So we know that at least in real time, in the in in the local now, that, that evolution does take place, and I think we even see it in our own uh, species. I think we see it in our children, and uh, and I think we see it in, you know, uh, you you see it not only in life forms, but you see it in the evolution of a culture, and you see it in the evolution of a technology. You know, these sorts of things. So I think that evolution is one of these, these things that is inevitable and happens uh, uh, with the forward march of time. The problem that I have with evolution is uh, my general problem with, with, with science in general. And I, uh, I, I agree with you, and sometimes I come off as if I have no respect for science. But I actually have a tremendous amount of science in its true form.
1: I think I understand what you're saying about science, because I feel very much the same way, Uh, is that I sort of look at science as kind of being a very narrow-beamed light that kind of probes the darkness in very small areas, but reality is a much larger darkness around that light, at least from the standpoint of science. And my problem with with science versus evolution, or science versus uh, creationism, is that I really don't like the the kind of monotheistic... uh, Paternalistic Mm. system that the the Judeo-Christian program has towards you know like literal interpretation of the Bible and that sort of thing. Right. You know, I I do think there's a there's a kind of there's an intelligence to the universe. You know, you talk about the Gaian hypothesis and the the idea that the Earth is a conscious being Mm -hmm. and that even inanimate matter has a degree of consciousness. You go back to the Upanishads and things like that. Sure, sure. So. It's kind of strange for me. I find myself defending science against the creationists, and yet I, you know, I certainly don't believe in creationism, and yet I see science as being a much broader knowledge as being a much broader thing than just the narrow area of science. You
0: know. Yep, I agree with you, and I think, um, uh, I think that if you really get the the magnifying glass out. And you look at both and I think this is what I think this is what frightens the death out of both religion and science. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, if you look closely enough, you will find out that both of these things have what uh, what Terence actually used to call the hard swallow.
1: Yeah, right. Everyone
0: gets a free miracle. Right, right, yeah. and, and and the hard swallow of science is, of course, the Big Bang, and yeah. uh, and and the hard swallow. Of religion and whether it's uh, Judeo-Christian or otherwise uh, is the the let there be light metaphor. In other words, yeah. somebody pulled the trigger. Uh, so I think that uh, that both science and religion are asking us to do the same thing: is to give them that one miracle. Uh, mm-hmm. Just give us one, and we can take it from there. We can make everything work from that point. But but that is that is the mystical and this is sure uh, you know th- this is what what at least to me this is what god is in other words we're not uh, that that is the ultimate mystery and the and the and the sin of science and the sin of religion is to, is to s- science takes the mystery away yeah. uh, and and denies that the mystery exists and religion uh, just sort of puts a different mask on that and just says that they that there is no uh, that there is a mystery, but they've got it figured out.
1: Yeah, it, it masks the mystery and gives it to the priestly practitioners.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. And and and, uh, and, and time I see that happen, um, my 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 uh, my radar goes up. And so really? I, I think that I think that the that that for me, uh, anybody anybody who's got all the answers is immediately suspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. People that are out there probing and asking questions and doing research and trying to learn all these things. Well, that's what uh, that's what I appreciate, and that's what I, that, that's what it's all about. Trying to learn, because as you mentioned, uh, science is sort of like this pinpoint laser that that's that sort of leads the the edge into the darkness so we can see sure. a little further, but it does not illuminate all of it. And, and uh, y- the, the, uh, the obvious metaphor is what science tells us itself, that 99 point some odd percent of the universe, they don't even know what it is. They call it dark matter mm-hmm. for, for, for lack of a better explanation. But but that's the interesting thing, is that science tells us all the time that it really knows very little about sure. what's going on, um, yet at the same time, the idea uh, from both science and religion is that, ah, there's no mystery whatsoever. We got it. We got it figured out.
1: Sure. Well, it, <laughs> seems like, it seems like physics has gone much farther in this area than the other sciences. In fact, they've almost gone to the point of dropping off the edge. You know, uh, physics is one of the most bizarre kinds of uh, systems of knowledge because you know, you have all these, these, these ideas that uh, matter or the observation is affected by the observer, and, you know, it goes back to a very subjective idea in many respects.
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, physics. Uh Physics has come full circle. I mean, it's 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 to yeah. the, it's, it's further it's further to the left of uh, of psychology when it comes to its, right. when it comes to its theories. I mean, I mean, th- th- there's absolutely nothing that's pinpointed now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, everything is based on probability. Everything is based upon, uh, as you say, the observer and the observed. And and you know the whole idea of uh, of quantum mechanics and Bell non-locality, uh, mm-hmm. this this is an idea that has been around with us now for for fifty, sixty, seventy years, mm-hmm. but science has not uh, incorporated the implications of its own discovery, mm-hmm. and uh, y- you know. Uh, so that's that's where I get frustrated is that we get stuck in the old paradigm because of the priesthood of science uh, when sure. when when the actual uh, science itself should be should be blasting blasting way past where it is right now and yeah. you know and I actually think that, uh, that that you know that that's one of the issues that's going on is there is suppression and there is censorship uh in science and religion i mean i mean if we could get into the vatican archives you and me would have a great time you know right (laughs) and if we could get into the uh into the physics archive at cornell we'd have just as much fun They're, 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 they're the same they're the same thing kind of so Anyway, I think, I think that's, uh, that's where I'll leave it, is that uh, science and religion have much more in common than, uh, than, than either of them likes to admit, and that being that they're both basically the same thing.
1: <laughs> I think that the main thing is, like you, you mentioned that you have a lot of respect for science, and that the only objection you have to science is that it's become sort of captive of this priesthood. that's actually sort of cut out certain areas where you can't look like the paranormal and things like that. The scientists actually... Will not look at that at that area, and uh, you know science should be open to everything. I mean, they, sh- they should have their eyes wide open. They shouldn't have bl- blinders on, you know.
0: Yep, I I, could, I I couldn't agree with you more, Bob. It's the top of the hour here. We're gonna get moving, and you. Uh, Great pre- talking to you. Yeah, hey, I appreciate your call, and uh, always feel free to give me a buzz back. Okay. We'll do. And uh, tell your friends about the program. Okay, I will. Take it right. easy. Okay. Bye bye. All right, bye. All right, thanks to Bob in uh, Jeff City there, and. uh... This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit. It's just about 3 o'clock in the a.m. on Sunday morning, the 13th of uh, March. Let's uh, take a break here. This is the Cranberries on Radio Orbit, KOPN. Back in a minute. Yeah, all right, Sinead O'Connor from I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. That was called I Am Stretched on Your Grave, sort of a happy family song for uh, 3.15 in the morning on uh, Sunday, the 13th of March. And uh, this is Mike Hagen, you're listening to Radio Orbit. And uh, things got kind of interesting over the last 15 minutes. I got a couple of guests that showed up in the studio, my good friend Casey Oleonik, who does blues in the night on Wednesday evenings from 10 o'clock until midnight is here. He just stopped in the studio and uh, he's with his close friend Sarah who's sitting here looking so pretty right across from me and uh, I got Ken Stedman on the telephone from Seattle. I don't even know if he's with us yet but uh, uh, we got all kinds of stuff going on so First off let's say hi hey, to Casey, what's going on? Where you been that you're here at three o'clock in the morning? <laughs> Where
2: haven't I been, Mike? That'd be a shorter list. Okay. Right. Uh I went to the split lip Rayfield concert this evening and it was absolutely incredible. Was that Dr. Blue Knop? Yeah, it was. And uh my parents actually came up from Warrington to see the show. Awesome. And uh they enjoyed themselves very much and that was probably the single best split library field concert that i've been to yet it was
0: it was a blast well i've heard that uh that the that their live show is supposed to be quite quite the quite the experience and i actually was, was uh was hoping to go down to the show tonight but i ran out of fuel and had to get a little uh a little shut eye before before my show so anyway well what else I, I know i know that you're chatting with the guys or something
2: <laughs> yeah well uh Kirk, the guitar player, came up before the show, and we did a station ID here at the yeah, station. Yeah, and and f- and for those of you out there, if you don't
0: know Split Lip Rayfield, check them out. The guys yeah, are just outrageous. The, so
2: they're uh, they're bluegrass with the the caffeine injection, <laughs> I guess. Um, they're fast. They're they're very fast and they're very good. They've got excellent harmonies. However, the interesting thing is I'm doing this uh, open mic radio thing.
0: What's open mic radio?
2: Open mic radio. What's open mic radio? I get local musicians to come up and play for me live in the studio on Wednesday evenings. I know. Actually, this coming up Wednesday, C3 is going to be on the show. I don't think they're going to be playing live. However, we are going to be playing some of their uh, studio recorded, well, not studio recorded tracks. They're live recorded tracks from previous shows.
0: Yeah, awesome. I actually mentioned earlier that... uh, that is coming up next Friday, the 19th. No, Saturday. Is it Saturday? It is Saturday. Saturday, the 19th. That's, the night, that, that's right, because yeah. Sunday's the 20th. So, ah, okay, sorry for that uh, faux pas, but it's Saturday night, the C3 show, uh, March 19th. And that's a KOP Benefit show. Yeah, so will show up and bring your wallet and your checkbook or whatever yeah, else.
2: And support your community radio. <laughs> Listener support it. That's community right. Community radio. Anyway, so... Open Mic Radio. Uh I've had five different people up so far, a couple of groups and a couple of solos. And uh Split Lip Rayfield actually agreed to do the do my show at some point. Um hopefully in the near future. But uh they're gonna come up and do right, open uh, mic radio sometime.
0: Incredible. Now are, yeah. they, are they are they sort of local or, or regional guys that get through here pretty often? Or they uh they're based out of Lawrence, Kansas. Oh, all right. So they're not far.
2: Right. Yeah. And, uh, and they always come through Columbia on their tours. I know. They usually do Columbia, and then they do the Colorado leg. They go to Boulder and uh, <laughs> I think Fort Collins, probably. I don't See know. Do the Denver State Young, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, they're great guys, man. They're Excellent. Awesome. Cool. I'm
0: sorry I missed it. Some of you guys had a great time tonight. So. Yeah. All right, man. Well, look, uh, I think we got... Kent here on the air, probably, but uh, I'm not going to go to him just quite yet. Um, there's a story that I want to read. If you want to stick around and listen, you can you can check this out. But uh, there's a weird thing that happened on the sun, or or in the vicinity of the sun, in the last. Uh, oh, okay, that, that wasn't uh, uh, that wasn't the way to end things, actually, Casey. <laughs> you know, I just sort of jumped in there. So anyway, oh okay. Gosh. So everybody, first of all, Casey show. It's called Blues in the Night. It's 10 to midnight on Wednesdays. Yep. And if you're lucky, you'll catch a, uh, a version of open mic radio. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I had some cool stuff. Uh, Nova Lunacy was here. Lux was here last week or the week before. Yeah. i mentioned uh, uh,
2: mention one thing real quick. Yeah. This Wednesday, I'm going to try to tra- talk Jeff Wheeler into uh, putting a track on a uh, CD for me. And I'll give a CD away to... Uh, Listener that evening, on Wednesday, with all the other open mic radio performances right. thus far.
0: All right, cool. All right, so check that out. That uh, Casey's show is uh, really cool, actually, and he's been doing some really neat stuff with it. And there's, uh, there's, uh, there's some great stuff going on here at the radio station. And uh, Jeff Wheeler is another one of these guys Is doing really neat stuff. He, uh, his show is on Monday afternoons from... Three to five or two to five, something like that. But uh, anyway, his show is called Uncommon Light, and then he does another show Thursday, Thursday, m- Thursday morning from midnight to three or something like that where he does some outrageously wild, uh, <laughs> real sort of uh, experimental yeah. stuff. And um, then, uh, of course, our good friend Angela, who does... Uh, Good sounds, of jazz. Um, good sounds of jazz. on Thursday night. to 10. Angela's doing some really neat stuff. I did, the, did this, uh, the Dawn of the Buffalo show with Angela last night. We had a great time. And, uh, and Corey as well. Corey doing some really neat local music stuff on her show. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, KOPN, jamming, and uh, lots of good stuff going on here. So uh, if you're out there, share that with your friends. There's a lot of really neat stuff going on here at the station and a lot of sort of secrets that not a lot of people know about, so... All right, Casey, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. All right, so um, uh, what I want to do is read this story real fast because, as I said, I've got Kent on the line, and he can add to this, but uh, uh, every once in a while we see these artifacts, uh, quote-unquote, that's what the NASA guys call them, but uh, these artifacts that show up on the Soho cameras that observe the sun. And um, uh, every once in a while... They look like the, uh, the old Sumerian or Egyptian winged disks. And uh, in particular, sometimes it looks like the also the Native American image of the Thunderbird. Well, uh, the, uh, the Thunderbird, uh, a couple of years ago when this first happened, um, we started just digging around a little bit and looking for anything interesting that we could find out that was related to this. And uh, uh, Kent sort of dragged this stuff out of the dirt um and uh uh pulled it out of the archives and put some of this old stuff back on the web recently uh, because we had a similar event uh occur just a few days ago in uh in concert with all these earthquakes and uh, uh some 3,000 odd earthquakes in the pacific northwest in just in, in just the last few days so it's been really rattling up there and mount st helens is blowing her top and uh who knows what so anyway uh <laughs> this is an old story that, uh, from October fifteenth, two 2002 and uh, it says a super-sized bird in Alaska and uh, the idea here is that the Thunderbird is real and that uh, uh, the, uh, the idea that there are these very large flying creatures uh, almost like uh, what you might think of as a pterodactyl uh, that there are stories that these things have been uh uh, reportedly um found uh and uh hunted in some cases in recent history so check this out okay this is from anchorage alaska the anchorage daily news from october 15 2002 a giant winged creature like something out of jurassic park has been reportedly sighted several times in southwest alaska in recent weeks Villagers in Tongiak and Monokotak say they have seen a huge bird that's much bigger than anything they've ever seen before. A pilot says he spotted the creature while flying passengers to Monokotak last week. He calculated that the creature's wingspan matched the length of a wing on his Cessna 207. That's about 14 feet. Other people have put the wingspan in a similar range scientists aren't sure what to make of the reports no doubt that people in the west of dillingham have seen a very large raptor-like bird but biologists and other people familiar with big alaska birds say they're skeptical if it's that big a recent sighting of the mystery bird occurred october 10th when moses Kupchiak, a 43 year old heavy equipment operator from tojiak 40 miles west of Monacotak, saw the bird flying toward him uh, from about two miles distance as he worked his tractor "'At first I thought it was one of those old-time otter planes,' Kupsiak said. "'Instead of continuing toward me, it banked to the left, "'and that's when I noticed that it wasn't a plane. "'It was a bird. It was something huge,' he said. "'The wings looked a little bit wider than the otters, "'maybe as long as the entire otter plane. "'The bird flew behind a hill and disappeared. "'Kupciak got on the radio and warned people in Tojiak "'to tell their children to stay away.'" Oh, my God, the fear response just jumps in, as always. All right, uh, pilot John Booker said he was highly skeptical of reports of this big, great eagle that there that was two or three times the size of a bald eagle i just didn't put any thought into it he said but earlier this week while flying to montacotech bowker owner of bristol bay air service looked out his left window and about a thousand feet away he said there's this big bird he said the people in the pan- the people in the plane all saw him bowker said he's huge it's huge i mean it's really really big you would not have to wa- <laughs> you would not want to have your children out apparently this uh, pterodactyl-like bird is going to swoop down and uh, grab the children and take them away to its den or its lair in the, in the heart of the Misty Mountains up, up there in Alaska. Um, <clears throat> anyway, there are, there, are, there are more dangerous things uh, for children uh, on this earth, trust me. Uh, the comparison to an eagle, uh, certainly... Uh, a, um, I apologize, let me return to where we were here. Uh, Nikolai Aliak... <laughs> a freight and passenger driver from Monacotec who was flying with Bowker said the, cre- the creature looked like an eagle and was as large as a little super cub. Comparison to an eagle, certainly. Super cub, probably not, scientists said. I'm certainly not aware of anything with a 14-foot wingspan that's been alive for the last 100,000 years, said federal raptor specialist Phil Shempf in Juneau. Shempf, other biologist, a village police officer, and teachers at the Monaco school, said the sightings... Could be of a Stellar's sea eagle, a species native to the northeast uh, and uh, one of the world's largest eagles. It's about 50% bigger than a bald eagle. Uh, bottom line is they don't know. Uh, but anyway, real interesting story. And uh, if you get on the internet and log on to www.cyberspaceorbit.com, that's c y b e r s p a c e o r b i t dot com. Uh, you can check out uh, some actual images of uh, some bizarre things uh, from old uh, images from the 1800s, it looks like. And we'll have Ken explain these a little bit better to us in a minute. Uh, but uh, there's quite a bit of history for this whole thing. And uh, as above, so below, because we we see the same things happen up there around the sun, So, anyway, okay, without further delay, let me uh, get my good friend Kent Stedman on the air here. Kent uh, is a regular uh, guest on the program and uh, didn't really have anything planned tonight. We're just going to chat it up a little bit and see what's going on in his neck of the woods uh, and uh, talk for a little while and then do what else we do. So, uh, Kent, you there with us?
3: Yeah, I'm here. I'm here.
0: All right, cool. What's going on?
3: A bit worn and weary.
0: Yeah, you've been busy tonight.
3: But I got a
0: thunderbird story for you, wow, yeah, I just read that thing, and m- maybe you can give uh, the folks a little bit of background, but I actually want I, I want to read something to them real real fast, Kent, which was why I, why I decided to call you tonight. I was going to uh, air an interview tonight that I had done uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I decided I was going to wait until I moved, uh, until we moved the program uh, to Monday nights, which is going to happen in a couple of weeks because it'll have uh, at least regionally and locally here. I'll have more listeners during that time. But at any rate, um, I, I, I jumped over to Orbit today and I read uh, the top little piece that you have there, and I'm going to read this to the uh, to the to the listeners right right now, just so they can <laughs> get a feel for why I gave you a call. Uh, Kent Kent writes, "The Northwest old volcanoes smoking." Skies weird, new volcano out to sea, drought, UFOs, 3,000 quakes, scalar vibes, whisperings of Lemuria rising. I feel like I'm in a Jules Verne novel, which, by the way, ain't bad. I keep watching the skies for a fleet of pterodactyls, which, by the which, by the way, reminds me of an old Northwest legend. And, of course, that's the Thunderbird, and uh, that's why I decided to call you, because I, I forgot about that story that we had... Uh, worked on a couple three years ago and uh, just started digging into it again and that's what a what a cool and sort of fascinating story.
3: Well, if you go to cyberspaceorbit.com, I put in a couple of places uh, on on that uh, website. I put a couple of Thunderbird links so you can check them out because there are some old photos of it that look like sometime during the Civil War, a bunch of guys standing around with their uh, leaning on their rifles, you know, and at their feet is sprawled, this <laughs> big old pterodactyl looking <laughs> creature. Oh, yeah. And they got their foot on his head.
0: Yeah, you got to see this, You got you to see these images. I mean, they're, and and it's. I mean, if somebody faked these photos, I don't know who would have. I don't. I don't know why anyone would have faked something like this because, I mean, who'd have even thought to do it? But they're b- incredible old, uh, like Kent says, from probably the mid 1800s. And yeah, it looks like some a couple of different ones of, but uh, Civil War uh, type soldiers, uh, like Kent says, leaning on their rifles and sort of proudly uh, standing over this giant creature.
3: Uh, maybe tonight we had one fly by here in the Northwest that has been reported, uh, it's just hot off the press. So, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just ad-lib a little bit here. ai didn't see it, but uh, there was a big green light that was sighted from uh, southern Oregon up to, to Washington, uh, Seattle area, across the sky, and was... Out to sea somewhat, and so uh, apparently some weird things happened. one of the radio stations went off during this event, really, yeah, and uh so you know that perks my interest
0: so it was it was sort of uh would you describe it as a fireball event again, so it would like a meteor or or or
3: and what would that be copper or iron or something but it is one of those mm. long burning systematically moving thing that kind of turned the sky blue for Mm. us you know it was pretty bright it's out to see and on the other side of the uh, US of A something happened in Florida tonight too there was a an earthquake posted on the USGS website of a quake in Florida you ever heard of a quake in Florida
4: no I haven't (laughs) it's just (laughs) a
3: bunch of mud right (laughs) Well, and then uh, they quickly removed the uh, reference to a quake, and then it's the first time I've ever seen it. You can go to the USGS site, and it says, Sonic Boom. You ever seen a Sonic Boom listed on the uh...
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> I a
3: quake, no. a quake site ever? No, I've never No, ever.
0: neither have I. And we look at that stuff pretty frequently.
3: No, I've heard sonic, but then now they're saying it's a couple of F-18s. I don't believe it because the reports we're getting from the ground is a low, rumbling, uh, durably been a duration of you know quite a while. Mm. Sonic booms I've experienced this, go boom, and sometimes you get hit with the shockwave. You know, but this is a rumbling thing, house shaking, people running out of their house. <laughs>
4: Wow, in Florida. What the hell's happening? uh,
3: So that's something that over the next couple of days we're going to have to gather more down-home reports to see what is going on back there because, once again, I have never seen a sonic boom listed on the list of earthquakes, you know, on the
0: Geological
3: Service site, which is... Probably the most conservative quake reporting site of all of them.
4: Of all of them, yeah.
3: I Worldwide, agree. they constantly downgrade the quake sizes, and so on. they're very systematically skeptical and scientific. They put a real heavy screen over the quake information, you know.
0: Well, I tell you what, there has been all kinds of quake activity. I mean, uh, what was going on out there by you earlier this week was outrageous. I mean.
3: Oh man!
0: Uh-huh. I mean, tell us a little bit about what what, what the what, what the uh, environment's like up there. I mean, well, people I've got to be a little bit nervous. St. Helens is burping, and you got thousands of quakes. And
3: well, from my worm's eye view here, you know, uh, th- we started feeling these quakes up here all the way up into the whole northwest, up into Canada and Alaska. And uh, uh, since mid February, there have been three, four thousand. Uh, significant quakes, you know, to the point where they're sending a, what they call a geological SWAT team to go out and find <laughs> out what's going on
4: There you go. with
3: a clue that we might be getting an underwater volcano starting to grow, uh, you know, due west of Portland area out to sea, huh. a new volcano. Hey, I hope it makes an island and Mike and I can go out there and put our flag out there. Claim it <laughs> that's right'll we'll call it we'll
0: call it uh we'll call it orbit land <laughs> yeah, and uh and we'll stake our claim and then we'll we'll have you know we'll we'll have like uh orca's that'll patrol, and uh they'll be our sort of uh security force we'll just have the dolphins they're, and the whales they're, help they're, us out <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love it, all right well, uh now wanna... back
3: to Thunderbird. <laughs> Yeah, I've got. No, I'm not putting on my science cap. I'm seeing right now. I'm taking off my science cap and I'm putting on my mythologist
0: cap. All right, and see, I'd like to point out that that's something. You know, I had a I had a real uh, interesting phone call from a gentleman uh, a little while ago, and we were talking about science and mysticism and this uh, uh, the sort of bridge that uh, uh, that seems so difficult to to, uh, uh, to 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 bridge between between those two. We had an interesting conversation, and uh, it's. Uh, it's imperative to be able to wear both of those hats at times, I think, so.
3: Yeah, well, okay, Here's a, this is more than the, uh, mysticism, it's more than science, because what it is for me is a real-life story. <laughs> so here we go with another tale of <laughs> tent hood.
0: That's right, gather around the pot-bellied stove.
3: Gather around, the, yeah, let's hunker down, let's talk about this, because what happened is uh, back in... The, the 70s were an interesting time, and sometimes I tell these wild stories, and I say, well, it was in the 70s, because," but I don't exactly remember when. I just remember getting in my hand. Somebody handed me this, one of my students. I was teaching at a city college as an art professor. A good gig because it allows for a certain range of uh, uh, investigation mm-hmm. out of box sort of thing and you can get away with it as an art professor okay but he handed me this science fiction or no this uh, uh, UFO magazine and I opened it up and there's this map of the Mojave okay okay <laughs> and on this map there's a circle and in big bold letters by it it's a time tunnel hmm and then I gave a really brief story about how people are experiencing time fluctuation in this particular region of nowhere, Mojave. And uh, so, by George, I loaded up my blue pickup a truck <laughs> in pick my, my camping supplies and kissed my wife goodbye and said, I'll be back, I hope.
4: <laughs>
3: and I drove down by Bakersfield and over the pass down into a place called... Uh, let me see if I can get this right Red Mountain, California and it's near the China Lake uh, uh, super secret Navy facility down there uh, which makes it kind of interesting that's a spooky place <laughs>
0: yeah China Lake is a strange, strange area No question. yeah I
3: had, that. A, I had a guy that said he was in the service he's a medic in the service he's a student told me that he was once flown in to, the, to that region uh, to pull out a heart attack patient. Mm-hmm. He said they blindfolded him <laughs> <laughs> for security purposes and, uh, but he said it was China Lake. He knew where it was. He said he, he went down and he said there's a bunch of fields down there and tractors and it uh, looked like a kind of a, uh, alfalfa farming thing but uh, as they approached this field you know it opened up like the big iris of a camera.
4: <laughs> oh man! And he
3: said they they dropped him off, and he went down seven levels to pull out this uh, heart attack patient. Well, that's where I was. I was out stomping around that territory. <laughs> no, I wasn't on China Lake. <laughs> <laughs> but I went to Red Mountain, California. There's a, a few old, down houses and gas station, and the only uh, truly sophisticated establishment in the whole town is called the Silver Dollar Saloon.
4: All right.
3: Now, I'd done some research, and a friend of mine had been down through there, and I told him, I'm going to go look for this time tunnel. And uh, he said, well, yeah, he says, if you do that, go check with this guy. I'll mention his name because he's gone now. Maybe somebody knew him. His name Bruce Menard that uh, he knows all about those time tunnels. And so I went in Silver Dollar, Dollar Saloon and sat down. And there were a few people in there. And uh, I finally said, God oh, dang it, He said, I'm here looking for a time tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Right. And a dozen customers in there just froze. <laughs> And uh, suddenly, I didn't feel too welcome there, I don't know, you know. And, uh, but they finally unfroze, because I was, due to my magnetic personality.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs>
3: yeah. And I asked about this guy, Bruce Menard, and apparently he had just passed away, but uh-huh. I started talking to this lady that was running the ball. She was a real calamity Jane, tough, square God lady that you didn't want to cross, you know. Right. <clears throat> well, I was used to those types living in Fresno. <laughs> so we got along pretty good. But, they, yeah, they said that there's some strange places around that area, Red Mountain. I talked to this guy named Bird. <laughs> and, yeah, speaking uh,
0: of pterodactyls.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in fact, Bird told me the Echo story. Bird was a miner. There a lot of miners down there. He's looking for some sort of rare black gold. Where I was looking for time tunnels, he was there on a clue looking for <laughs> black gold. This Indian wow guy had been this Native American had been prospecting, pulling out this black gold out of uh, somewhere, and. Uh, uh, so he was there, set up his own mine at a base of a place called Iron Mountain. All right. And anyway, yeah, Bird told me that he said he was outside uh, one spring night, and this bird with a wingspan of 20 feet twenty feet, flew over. He said it wasn't a California condor. He said it was something else oh. out of Middle Earth. <laughs> <And> he, <laughs> said, he said he asked his Indian friends. They said, "Well, that was a Thunderbird."
0: Well, I'll tell you what—if those pictures at uh, at the website at uh, cyberspaceorbit.com, dot com, if if those are anything uh, like what he's talking about, it sure does look like it came from Middle Earth. It's not like anything I've ever seen.
3: Well, I wonder about that Bigfoot and Cupacabra and Thunderbird. If there isn't no a sort of dimensional thing at play there, where they sort of creep into our huh. into our Spectrum, you know, to our reality every once in a while and then creep out. <laughs> and, and,
0: and the stories like Loch Ness maybe as well. I mean, why, why, you know, it wouldn't be limited to the air or the earth. Uh, the, the water would be uh, just as uh, susceptible to a phenomenon like that, I suppose. Why not? So
3: So the evening wore on and the uh, establishment was about ready to close. And so I said, well, I'm still looking for my time. And a lot of things had gone on between. Right. They said, well, go up this road, past this old ghost town, and uh, look around up there and maybe camp up there. So I did. I drove my my 69 Dodge, pick em up, blue truck up <laughs> the road after dark, and drove up this really windy road, and I got kind of it up on top of a, a mesa type of area there, and uh, there is a dang tunnel. <laughs> I mean, not a space-time vortex, a real tunnel like a mine, and it was an odd-looking mine in it that it was perfectly circular <laughs> and uh, went into the mountain in a circular pattern and uh, kind of smooth. on the. i have never seen a mine like that. Uh-huh. So I got out my sleeping bag and went in there and bagged out inside of his mind like it was an active mind okay <laughs> uh, strange place I kept hearing this tick 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 from deep inside the mind like somebody clanking on something weird like but it was an abandoned I think it was an abandoned mind uh, and I had r- dreams of reptilian creatures all <laughs> my time <laughs> Next morning, I was out. I checked out another tunnel nearby, and I was wandering around it. It was a mine. And this guy drives up a pickup. He says, What the hell are you doing in my dang mine? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I said, Well, pulled out my map. I'm looking for this time tunnel right here. Right. And here's this guy. He says, Oh, okay. You know, it didn't faze him a bit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we started talking, here's this guy who's a millionaire, right? Right. Made a million dollars in L.A., in the advertising business. And he was up there. He had just escaped. This was his mind, the second one I went to, He had just escaped a mind collapse, you know, where he almost lost his life. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you got a million dollars. What are you doing out here? You know. uh uh-huh collapsing minds on yourself (laughs) and he just got this strange look in his eye he says I don't know he says I don't know it's the quest but we started talking about UFOs and time -time. he didn't bat an eye he said yeah really strange things go on up here Wow. then he told me that at China Lake a UFO had hovered over the main command center the electronic command center Mm -hmm. China Lake had hovered there for something like Five hours. Huh. That he had heard.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and that—that—that's not unprecedented. There's a few pretty interestingly documented stories of big giant UFOs hovering over military bases in the past. We know that. So.
3: But the Navy brass there were pretty freaked out. Oh
0: man, you got to imagine. You got States to imagine. Were
3: the most technologically advanced, kick-ass nation in the world, you know. Right. And yet here's this thing hanging over your
0: base, yeah that you can do nothing about. Yeah, that's bizarre. It, uh, you know, y- you also made me think when you mentioned that 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 miner guy was up there at a place where he called Iron Mountain. Mm-hmm. Made me think of that the Iron Mountain report. Remember that piece of?
3: Yeah, but I've paper? kind of forgotten
0: what that is. It's all about. Well, UFOs. yeah. I mean, talk about E. T. and UFOs and all that stuff. The Iron Mountain report. I tell you what, if it if it's disinformation or misinformation, which it very well may be. Uh, it, somebody went to a whole lot of work to do it. It is state-sponsored disinformation because it is a very in-depth report about uh, the uh, interaction between our own government and military with uh, you know, extraterrestrial creatures that are supposedly here in the now, uh, um, but uh, outside of our... The average guy's uh, world that, that we don't know about. So, but anyway, if you're interested in that, people go just go get on the web and go do a do a search for the Iron Mountain report. And if you want a mind bender, that one'll that one'll twist you a little bit. So. Anyway. Yeah, I've
3: kind of re, I've you know I've come the your our show here and talk about uh, my own UFO experiences. I've had a kind of a period of reflection on that ever since who was it on ABC that
0: Peter Jennings did,
3: yeah did the report which really disappointed me it's just the same old pap you know oh
0: like, yeah, yeah. You know,
3: some guy uh, talking head playing the the Bah, kind of dismissing it but it is, I'll tell you about it anyway but it's stupid you know that <laughs> type mm-hmm. of a thing and uh, yeah I do believe there's an el- element of a dis- People trying to jerk around our minds, you know, about the whole thing. And uh, uh, Warner von Braun apparently was concerned that uh, uh, he didn't say there were no aliens or no ETs or life on other planets, but he was very concerned toward the end of his days about using the alien card you know, in order to bring about uh, an agenda which he's not too happy with, uh, mainly the weaponization of space. Hmm. And he sort of ran down what he thought. In the, you know, he f- for instance, he declared that we're making fake enemies all, all along the way, including even the the Cold War scenario was a sort of cooked up deal. You know, on the one hand, we got the evil commies. and, mm-hmm. and On the other hand, we're supplying, um, you know, airmen, oh, yeah. and guys, guys. Oh. Supplying them with weapons, or helping, helping them uh, build their nuclear power plants, uh-huh. and so on. And so, uh-huh. we're, on the one hand, we're buddies with our former World War II allies. On the other hand, we're cooked up this big evil, commie thing.
4: Yeah, um,
3: with some of our capitalists, you know, <laughs> financing it as, as they did with Hitler, and so on. It's that uh, Hegelian philosophy is just. Uh, playing both, burning both ends of the candle, and then making and, uh, yeah, money
0: off it. Of yeah, you know. Uh, and spe- speaking of that, uh, playing both sides of it, like these, like these bankers have have done for so long. Uh, I'll, I'll clarify real fast for the people who don't know who Werner von Braun was. Uh, this is a, another perfect example of one of these stories. Von Braun was a uh, a German rocket scientist uh, who was. The head of the rocket program in germany uh before World War two actually he followed he was sort of the uh the, the uh protege of another guy whose name was willie lay and willie lay actually uh, defected uh, to the u s before world war two but uh and he's a guy that not a lot of people know about people should look into him as well but anyway uh very to
3: read willie uh,
0: no, oh man he was he was uh, Willie Lay was he was the guy in Germany and von Braun was just a just a chump when it came to the rocketry stuff. Uh, uh, but after after Willie Lay uh, defected, um, the Germans were were basically left without a, a head for their rocket program. And von Braun was the next best thing, and they brought brought him up. And of course he ended up uh, uh, being smuggled over here to the, to the United States post World War II uh, uh, through. Uh, operation paperclip um and uh and then uh went down in history as sort of the father of our rocket program here and certainly we would not have gone to the moon uh in 1969 were it not for Wernher von Braun. but he has a very uh checkered past as well that guy and um so I, i i i'm i i perfectly appreciate uh uh, what he may have been saying, but I look with it uh, with a little bit of skepticism as well because, man, he's, you just never know with, uh, with with these types. But anyway, so what... Here I
3: am, a UFO experiencer, you know, since childhood. I won't go through that again. <laughs> but what I'm thinking now is, you know, E.T. or no E.T., it is a powerful trump card, you know. hmm even uh, Ronald Reagan said, well, what do you think if I were to tell you that uh, we're <laughs>
0: you know, what is he made a reference? To the right, scenario. right. He said, yeah, what if, in fact, he even used the alien reference. He said, what if, uh, what if uh, space aliens were to invade the planet today? We would all have to bond together and, and, uh, you know, in a, in a united world to fight off the latest boogeyman, which is, uh, which all it is, is just the extension of the boogeyman theory.
3: And the UFO phenomenon may be a very valid thing, you know, including visitation from uh, beings from other parts of our galaxy. But uh, on the other hand, we have this new uh, arsenal of technology that literally messes with the mind itself, you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, even experiences like myself, I grew up in Utah, and Utah is surrounded by all those Dugway and Tooele and all those... Uh, various research companies, right. Achilles, Ferry, Rand, and so on. Sure. And uh, who knows what kind of vibes they were putting out in experiments. I know early in uh, 1948, they literally dropped 2,000-pound bombs of radioactive gas and dispersed it over, uh, pop- you know, the fringe of population centers to see what would happen. It was called Project Green Run. So right. they, right. they, you know... That they're not beyond experiment using a population to experiment on, and uh, therefore, uh, with our new arsenal of electromagnetic weapons, you know,
0: and technology them, in general, right?
3: Low frequency electromagnetic weapons, which would say interface. Or phase into our own brainwave structure. Who knows what kind of realities they could, for instance, create in a in a, anybody that's in the, under their transmission. You know. In fact, I was in the hospital once. We both thought we were dying. Me and this guy who was stationed from Tooele, ordnance, and uh, we both thought we didn't have very long. Uh, and he. I asked him about that. I said, what kind of technology now is mind control, electronic mind control? And he said, well, he said, we have satellites that will, like, sweep, say, the whole western coast mm-hmm. with a with a signal, a very low frequency signal, 7, 9 something hertz. And uh, he even gave him a tag, called them disruptors.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: Disruptor satellites that will i don't know what they do
0: they, they disrupt
3: they disrupt and can you know we know that they can use modulated microwaves to create voices in our brain
0: all right i mean all the all the all the patents and uh and and uh, design of uh, Uh, prints, everything of this stuff is all online. You can see all this. There's one, I forget uh, who it is, but there's one guy out there that documented all this stuff. He calls it the patents of control. And, uh, again, if you go out there and look for for those keywords, the patents of control, you'll find an unbelievable uh, number of devices and technologies that have been developed to do exactly what Kent is talking about, to manipulate uh, perception and to manipulate thought and to manipulate the mind uh, and sometimes the body of uh, human beings from a distance.
3: Yeah, well, these microwave guys, it started off as a joke. They figured out a way to modulate a microwave sin- signal, and then the guy next to them, they'd, they'd uh,
1: beam him with it,
3: and he'd start hearing voice. Right. <laughs> it was fun and games. They were playing with these things. You know, and they do other things with radar transmissions. You know, they zap seagulls out of the sky or fry jackrabbits.
0: Right, right. And we've seen that too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they were doing that for fun, you know. Or they toss light bulbs, you know, the old. The, the, they toss a light bulb out in the, in the range of a uh, microwave transmission, watch them explode. They did a lot of really kind of fun things,
4: these you know, <laughs>
3: young radar guys. And. uh one of them was to, to make their their buddies hear voices in their heads. In their
0: heads. Right.
3: Yeah. And then it went covert and became serious
0: stuff. Oh yeah, that turns into that turns into stuff that uh, uh who who knows what. Um yeah, so these things are real and yeah, the the, the UFO uh idea, the E T question, whether it's real or not, and, and uh I I certainly the phenomenon is real in my opinion. What it is, uh you know, what it is I don't I don't know and quite frankly I think that that's not the important thing and I and, and after the top of the hour I want to ask you a question about something so I have sort of a uh, a, t- uh, a, n- a new take on this uh, as well that I that I sort of want to run by you and see what you think of it but um yeah the the, the UFO or the ET thing real or not uh, could be used certainly uh, in that uh, sort of a manner to to sort of uh, coerce an entire population into believing that there was this great external threat um, which existed uh, uh, outside of our own planet that was that was now threatening us or whatever and therefore uh, allow these whoever they might be to to uh, pull the next stunt down here on the planet.
3: Well, like I say, it feels like a Jules Verne novel up here. I had no longer posted. The, the I pulled up some old information about where we saw those, those sort of circular things out in the
0: Pacific. Yeah, those Moore, those patterns that. And were
3: I just out. posted that, and I was thinking about it, you know. And then I get a picture, and then suddenly, a couple of days hence, St. Helens blows its top, and I was there looking through the St. Helens cam when it was happening. And I that, used to have a front row seat.
0: Yeah, that was a pretty significant explosion too.
3: And then uh, some of the native people, a representative out of Portland, some of the Native American people sent me pictures of. Uh, they sent a reference to a quake that happened here. I, I'll have to look it up. Uh, some time back, it was a really serious earthquake. And uh, it, the, the epicenter of the quake was around a, a certain area that the, that the uh, elders believed to be part of a. Once vast empire that extended out into the sea, and uh, with with vestiges of that empire still on land here in the northwest, and what have we got? What are the uh, what's left over here?
0: Pyramids. We right now,
3: pyramids.
0: Ken, is that that, that that's the so-called Touche Ridge or something yeah. like that in Colombia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that's what they what the uh, what the elders called. The original bridge of the gods.
3: Yeah, and around there are pyramids. I've got to pick, come look at it.
0: Yeah, I've seen them, and they're, they're actually like round, though. They're like they're like mound shaped. In they other call words,
3: pyramids Yeah, but they're up on platforms that work. You know, like uh, some of the other Celtic uh, 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 Cairns, right, right, right in yeah. Ireland. They build these sort of multi-layered mounds. You know, like a uh, uh, foundation, but they're vast.
0: Oh yeah, and then on
3: top of it, they'll put the
0: pyramid. Yeah, this one that I'm looking at uh, from your site is incredible. Uh, And even and if you were looking at it from above, in other words, if you if you're looking at a a a pyramid, for example, in um, uh, in Mexico or on on the Giza plateau or something like that, if you look at it from above, looking down, you'll see a square because they're four-sided. If you look at it from the side, you'll see a, a triangle. Uh, The same thing here, if you look at this uh, pyramid that Kent is describing, if you look at it from the side, laterally, it will look just like a triangle, just like a a classic pyramid from uh, Giza or Mexico or whatever. If you look at it from above, it will appear as a circle. Uh, Incredible, Ken.
3: Yeah, and pull up, uh, I've got some of the ocean floor uh, uh, maps.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I remember. I remember. And uh,
3: if you look at the, the the ocean floor map of this region, they get really strange. In fact, a guy, maybe this, maybe I should save this till after the break. But a guy sent me an interesting concept. You know, I really should we do that now or wait?
0: Well, I tell you what. Yeah, let, let 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 let's wait. We'll do that after the break, and I'll and, uh, and I'll ask you yeah, the question I, that I, I want to ask you as well. Okay? <laughs> yeah, okay, let's do that, and um, uh, we'll be back in a minute. Hey, I also want to ask you about your contact here in Missouri. I know you have a contact here in Missouri uh, who has, uh, is doing some interesting research regarding uh, terraforming and some incredible uh, things on the ground here as well. So maybe you can uh, we, chat with me about that because I want to get in touch with that guy and see if I can get him on the program. All right, we'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, I'm on the line with Kent Stedman live from Seattle. You can check out Kent's work at www.cyberspaceorbit.com. That's C Y B E R S P A C E O R B I T. Dot com, cyberspaceorbit.com, and uh, you can always get there uh, from my site at uh, www.radioorbit.com. And uh, you are listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri's source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio, it's community radio, and it's your imagination station, listener-supported KOPN, serving Columbia and uh, all the areas around mid-Missouri, and we appreciate everybody listening tonight. Uh, Stick around. We'll be back with Kent in just a few minutes. In the meantime, this is Concrete Blonde. This is Bloodletting. We'll be back in a few. Creep Blonde from Bloodletting, that's the title track. And uh, this is Mike Hagen, you're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. And I'm on the telephone here with my good friend Kent Stedman from Seattle, Washington. Lots going on up there in the Pacific Northwest right now. And uh, Hey Kent, mm-hmm. you know before the break we were talking about, uh, about UFOs and I want to run something past you real fast, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're here.
3: I'm here. I'm here.
0: All right, cool. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. just wanted to make sure. I probably had you sleeping there for a few minutes.
3: I'm the perpetual webmaster. I'm posting a link on my site right now. <laughs> I just looked at the IRSAT of the Ghost West satellite. Uh-huh. Looking really strange.
0: <laughs> More strangeness.
3: Well, you know, in re- reference, to we just had this green light. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of in- interference on the uh, satellites right now. So go ahead and tell me your story. And I'll
0: I wonder it. what the hell that is all about, by the way. That is really strange. So, in other words, that thing might be having some sort of electromagnetic signature or effect or something, apparently.
3: Yeah, I'm putting up. It'll be on the top of
0: my page. Okay, we'll go there and check it out in a minute. All right, my my, my question to you or, or my comment about the UFO thing, I think um, every time uh, I hear the story or read the report or whatever, and including abductee reports and this sort of thing, it seems like there's always... uh, It never quite adds up. And it's almost like the UFO story is this enigma, this onion that you can keep peeling away level after level after level, but it never seems to resolve itself. And I started to think that maybe... Rather than worrying about what it is, you know who they are or what it is, uh, um, I'm I'm starting to look at more at what is it doing, you know what what effect is it having on uh, culture or on the, the the human psyche, right? And I and when I think about that, the the image that you painted earlier about this big, giant UFO hovering for hours over the one of the most uh, top-secret, highly technologized uh, area of the U.S. defense establishment, China Lake Naval Facility. This, this sort of uh, um, makes my point, and my point is this, is that it seems to me that what the UFOs are doing is... Eroding faith in science. It it seems to me that they're sort of an antidote to the hardline rationalist idea that says that these things just cannot exist and do not exist and cannot uh, operate outside of the known laws of physics and all these things. Yet they're there to confound science. I think, and I think that. Uh, There might be. um, (laughs) This is going to sound kind of strange, maybe, but we're four fifteen in the morning. But you know, I'm interested in Carl Jung's work, and his perspective was that you know he he saw really clearly that something could be uh, driven from the psyche, something could be uh, a psychological. uh, object but that would in no way preclude it from being effective in reality as well you know, they were not mutually exclusive you could have both and maybe it's like a trigger maybe maybe there's a mechanism inside the sort of global consciousness the, 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 the global mind that when a species gets to a point where they get too dangerous to themselves and others there's sort of a, uh, a circuit breaker or something that kicks in and the superego is invoked, and boom, you have UFOs in the sky now, and they're to sort of uh, confound the establishment and to, to sort of bring down the pillars of rationalism, maybe.
3: <laughs> well, um, one of the prominent UFO researchers, I mean, really out to get out and get grimy UFO researchers is out in the field, Jacques Valet.
4: Jacques Vallée.
3: Uh, that's his premise after many years of studying and he believes that it's kind of the, the carrot before the horse theory mm-hmm. because he's taken the history of UFOs way back into say the turn of the century and back then there were these re- weird sort of Verne contraptions flying around skyships they called them mm-hmm. they'd mm-hmm. appear and even land, land in uh, some farmer's cornfield and, and uh And then just sort of vanish off the scene, he feels like there's some element within the uh, logos that uh, puts the carrot before the horse Hmm. in a bit. And uh, and he more or less mentioned it in terms of uh, that's how we're kind of drawn into uh, evolution in our thinking and maybe in in our technology. Uh, And we do... Have a tendency to see things through the screen of our current cultural sure. reality, sure. You know? and so these things would appear in different ways, you know, over different periods of time different periods of history.
0: Right, depending on the cultural lens, I agree perfectly.
3: But you know, you you got to get down and really think about who we are and what goes on in our own private personal life on this rock in the rim of the solar galaxy. Uh, we, we, you know, we're, we move through different bands of reality in just any given 24-hour cycle. Uh, uh, we move through different brainwave frequencies, you know, that are measurable. You can hook yourself up to an electro uh electronic monitor and see yourself go into uh through the beta the alpha the right, beta. Right. and each one of these layers of our uh consciousness has different presents a different reality a different universe you might say right and you go to bed at night and you dream you know which is, represents uh quite a bit of your uh life on this planet is your dream state and even when we're awake i mean uh uh, it isn't as though we go through our entire wake-up life as though we just got pulled over by the state highway patrol and we're really up in the beta level trying to explain, get ourselves right. out of a jam and do business, et cetera, and et cetera. Most of our wake-up time is spent introspectively, too. Right. And it right. seems like we're just sort of these mental beings that... that uh, zap up to our sensory perception every once in a while, check to see what's going on, then we go back into our uh, deeper state, whether we're awake or asleep. And these, uh, you know, while we're awake, we do lots of, we're really what we are in terms of our signatures. Uh, uh, eight cycles per second, what do they call it? I'm not sure I got that right, but the alpha frequencies. Mm-hmm. We're alpha beings. Uh, that's where we're centered and in Alpha you know that's a place where you your your perception goes dual it can go both ways it can go inner or outer and it, uh, if we're really that's our central signature then what who we really are are sort of uh, uh, conscious dreamers we're in a conscious dream all the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you really are because we're introspective most of the time And examine what you do, you know, in your sleep world and wake-up world and where you are. And if you really come to grips with that, you'll really realize that that we're voyaging all the time, you know, through what? Through the power of the imagination. Even doing business is doing it, you know, you're doing it with your imagination. (laughs) Our whole realm of technology has percolated out of our imagination
0: well the whole the whole the whole ever since urbanization began i mean that that was the beginning of virtual reality i mean we live in a virtual reality we live in a world that has been built out of the imagination no question about it i mean places like seattle uh, would not exist uh were it not for the uh concretization the 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 manifestation in the physical of the imagination you know you now, know,
3: there are people all my life that are saying, well, your dreams are just... The word imagination became almost a put-down, you know. Huh. Uh, you you imagine things, well, it's not real then because you're imagining. Right, things. right, right. Baloney. Yeah, yeah. That's our primary signature. We're imaginers.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's where all of our creativity, all of a, a, all of what it is to be human comes from, you know.
3: Now, there are people, of course, that try to... They want to... Because the real if you want to go out and make war, the real battlefield is the mind itself. Right. Our world leaders have known that for quite some time. Churchill said that. Winston Churchill said the real battlefield is in the human mind. You know, If you want to uh, be a power monger, if you want power, if you want control, if you want wealth and resources, what you do is control the human mind. Right, so there are a whole lot of people out there that uh whether they come from uh, my my great grand daddy said he said, always argue religion and politics <laughs> huh. says, always argue with preachers and politicians, and therefore uh, you you might prevent becoming one of them
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that
3: they want our minds.
0: Right. And, 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 and the bottom line, I think, with the, with the UFO uh, idea, and I'll finish my thought here, is that, is that I think that that's what it really comes down to. It's a political thing. It's a personal, uh, uh, it's a personal freedom, and, uh, and it's a personal idea where, in other words, are you supposed to believe yourself your own experience through the lens of your own intelligence and your own consciousness, you know, are you supposed to believe that or are you supposed to take uh, uh, the decree from above, from science who tells you that you did not experience what you think you experienced. You must be sick or you must be mistaken or... Uh, you need help, but or it isn't real, or it is not real, and so uh, th- th- that you know, you mentioned the Peter Jennings special, and that was, of course, the my my major beef with it. Again, you've got just basically a decree coming from above, from somebody in a white jacket, who says that your personal experience is not real, is not valid, and uh, to me, that is is just an unacceptable position, and and uh, and I think that's what. I think that's what the UFO is doing. The UFO is showing, as Valet points out, maybe. uh, And, yeah, I remember now back to The Secret College, his book, The Secret College. um, And he talks about that, about what the UFOs are doing, Not, not, not who they are or where they come from, but what are they doing. And that is, I think, eroding faith in science. And that show that Peter Jennings pulled a couple weeks ago was nothing more than the establishment trying to maintain its hold.
3: Science is a, method- is a methodology. I mean, everybody pay attention here. Science is a certain method, and there are many methods. You know, science is... Oft times I get the feeling they want to run the whole show.
4: Mm-hmm. In
3: fact, I thought that really... Uh, uh, it was tooth and nail during my period as a college instructor because the, the colleges have tried to uh, justify... Uh, a sort of sense of respectability by constantly kowtowing the science. You know, but here I was faced with trying to teach people coming out of the, the culture of all ages how to re- tap again into their childlike imagination because it was gone, man. It
0: was right. gone. Right, because, because you were teaching art.
3: I bring my three year old daughter into the class and hand her a piece of chalk, and I had these three chalk boards all across the front of the. Lecture hall, and she, I'd say, go, and she'd go and draw as far as she could reach <laughs> and across all three talk boards She'd draw all this wild stuff, and people just, oh my god! <laughs> you know, I did have to shake them out of it. Their, uh, their sense. Well, I can't be an artist. I can't be creative. Right, right. It's yeah. something special that only special people can do. Right. right. Uh, whereas I feel that not only. The art experience or I felt not only the art experience is a birthright but for darn sure our own imaginations are a birthright sure. and I'd tell for instance uh, as a little kid I the things I remember most from my childhood are my dreams I don't remember
2: uh, the wake-up
3: world that well but I remember the
2: dreams hmm.
3: and uh, and yet uh, it seemed like through fundamental religion or fundamental science or TV or whatever and they keep saying it's not real. It's not. Well, what do you mean it's not real? right. Well, I mean, it happens. Right. Right. <laughs> it happens. Is, is that a, some kind of rabbit we have to stuff back down in the head? Our own dreams? Mm-hmm. And then you got these people come along and say, Well, you're having dreams, all right. But uh, let me interpret them for you. <laughs> what do you mean interpret them? You know? Well, if you have a dream that you're on, a... Uh, at sea on a pirate ship it means blah, 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 blah. something will happen to your personal experience and finances on earth <laughs> well I always rejected that you know you've got no right to interpret my dang dream right. a dream's a dream and what happens happens
0: take it for what it is
3: <laughs> yeah right? why does it have to be something else than right. what it is right. you know? uh, anyway this guy wrote me a uh, an email and this is pretty cool it's on my website better go to it or I'll get it wrong
0: all right www.cyberspaceorbit.com I'm going to go over there myself right now okay
3: you look down and you'll see the picture of that little hobbit that they found oh yeah
0: yeah and his little, and his little elephant yeah
3: and his little elephant Kent there's an the email it says Kent I just wanted to send you this in case you missed my post entitled Middle Earth not our past but our future says, I got a real kick out of the many striking geographic similarities between that high res of the seafloor that you have posted and the maps of Middle Earth found in the Lord of the Rings books and movies. Bizarre, to say the least. Is it Mount Doom that awakens beneath the surface of the Pacific Ocean? Is the myth of Middle Earth not from out of our past but soon to be our future after major Earth changes? Maybe the kings of... Numenor are alive today here on the continent and are going to migrate to the new landmass after it has risen from the depths. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Now if you click on map of future Middle Earth, he's superimposed the Tolkien map over uh, the Northwest map, and it's really rather interesting.
0: All right, I'm looking at it right now.
3: Whoa!
0: Rohan, there's the White Mountains. And if
3: you look at that map that Mike and I are looking at, if you can get over there, you can take a look at it. You know, the seafloor is strange. It's got all these...
0: All these pyramidal shapes.
3: Pyramidal shapes, and it's got these wall-like shapes.
0: Yeah, in fact, that one, uh, there are right angles and things again. Right
3: at the corner of that right angle is where the... the, Is where the... uh, volcanoes apparently
0: holy cow ah stranger and stranger my friend
3: and the timelines are getting stranger and stranger too i don't know maybe it's getting old which i'm doing rapidly but times just seems strange lately it seems like uh, weeks go by in the blink of an eye
0: yeah, I think that perception is real. Actually, I, I'm, I've never been one to believe that. Uh, you know, speaking of science, that's one of the things that is imperative uh, for uh, that, that science maintains, and that's that, uh, that that time is constant because you know there's this interesting thing in the scientific method that's called uh, the return to initial circumstances or return to initial conditions. This is uh, imperative in the in the scientific. Uh, uh, methodology right well what what's what science doesn't understand or what they deny is there ain't such a thing as a return to initial conditions you can't do it you know it's a, a sort of a, you can never go home idea and
3: uh they'll never find the universal laws either we've talked about this before you know one you know Science, science is polluted by the by the medieval uh, philosophy of there being something <coughs> underlying everything that is constant, immutable, and permanent. You know, the the universal laws of reality, fundamental laws mm-hmm. of reality. There's no rational basis that there is such a, I I mean. There's no reason to assume that there are such laws. Right. And, you know, you might say and mention briefly what McKenna might, how he might comment
0: on it. I don't know. I think Terrence would would say that, you know, well, you know, he talked about the imagination so much. And one of the things that he would have added about uh, what you mentioned about being awake or being asleep, you know, this whole idea of being, that there's, the metaphor is when we do go to sleep, You know, there's that area, there's that time in between sleep and wake. That sort of hypnagogic state, I think they call it. And that is the place where the dream world and the real world sort of. that's the border, you know? And we sort of live there in that border because. If you extend the metaphor, at any given time on the planet, there are about half of the people asleep, and about half of the people awake, and the animals, and the plants, and all of the life forms on the planet, uh, because of the nature of, you know, uh, the way the earth revolves around the sun, there's always about half of the planet that's in that dream state and half of the planet that's in the waking state. So I think that the guy in mind, the, the sort of global consciousness itself exists in that middle area, in that hypnagogia, and it's a fractal thing, you know. What
3: we're doing there, to, to extend that concept, what we're doing there is we're seeking uh, uh, novelty. We're, you know, right. We're seeking novelty. And I think maybe Terence might add that the universe
0: is doing the same thing. exactly uh, uh, that the the uh, and 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 if science has given us one thing uh, of uh, of real note in the last ten years, even it 's the recognition that the universe is fractal that that no longer do they tell us that uh that the the similarity between an atom and a solar system and a galaxy, no longer do they tell us that those are just coincidental. They used to tell us that, but now it's basically agreed upon in science that the universe is self-similar across scale. And uh, what that means is that if the Earth <laughs> and uh, uh, is moving towards some sort of a conclusion, and just as a human life moves to some sort of a conclusion, well, the universe is doing the same thing, and uh, it does so at greater and greater speed as we move toward whatever that uh, uh, whatever that conclusion is. And I think we're in the tunnel now, and I think that's why uh, why why this uh, idea of time is so in our face right now, I, I feel the same thing as you, Kent. I mean, the the, the weeks and months go by so quickly that it, it's it's a uh, it's a it's a veritable blur right now.
3: It does seem to be, in my own perceptual experience, there seems to be a central point of radiation where the universe kind of like a kaleidoscope of Oidst or kaleidoscope where where phenomenon will radiate from a from a mysterious central point, you know. But the 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 expression in the phenomenal world, or the world that we see, touch, feel, hear, and taste, is infinitely changing.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: <clears throat> so there might be a, a f- fundamental uh, source. But what comes out of this source point is is subject to constant permutation. And so uh, uh, the universe is seeking, uh, therefore seeking, novelty. Mm -hmm. Uh, At certain levels, it just ain't going to stand still. and It's not going to be caged or boxed. And and if you write a scientific formula that uh, for the moment appears to... Uh, be provable you know through history we find that, they, that it's that's not necessarily uh,
4: right 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 true.
3: you know myths myth actually hang uh, the the myth maker or the myth actually endures better than the scientific theory and that that bothers science it seems because they feel like they've got some sort of mission at times it appears that the scientist has a sort of mission to break through the myth you know or to annihilate the myth right
0: you know and 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 what we're learning through you know guys like paul Laviolette and other other many other people is that the mythology actually uh has many different levels in and of itself and that many times uh secrets of science are uh enclosed and hidden Uh, and built right into the mythology so again um this uh sort of bridge between the two has to happen in order for the full or or what what we can make of the full picture uh to emerge i think and i agree with you science is one thing it's a methodology uh and uh, it has its place but it's not some meta-theory that explains and, uh, and defines everything else and gives it you know, either the approval or the disapproval from the hand of science. And if you don't get the approval of science that it's not valid, well, that's, that, that, that's, not, a, that's not a good uh, uh, position to come from, I don't think.
3: Well, science, uh, the scientist isn't in a good position either if he allows his observations methodology which by the way is important to us all right you know it's a, it, that method is a as back in the old days of the, uh, the you know the early university back way back coming from the bardic tradition you know you'd have the scientist and the poet uh, doing their research but then they'd report their finding to the, uh, the archdrew or the master bard or the, the doctor of Philosophy to strain it all out and put it all together and glue it together into a more comprehensive picture. Mm-hmm. And that was the real university concept with the colleges and the assignments of the various uh, researchers. You don't, you only have so much time on this work in your life and sometimes you have to specialize.
0: But you have to meld
3: your your research with the other guy, you know, the other method in order to get this all-inclusive picture. Right. And sometimes I think science got broken when they allowed themselves to become pawns of politicians, Mm -hmm. or even more so to become pawns of, uh, uh, I call them black coats, you know, people that have entered into science with agenda. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Oftentimes religious in nature.
3: Oftentimes religious in nature. And and, and somehow I feel that uh, science has gotten somewhat polluted not with just a specific religion but with the idea that, that uh, uh that they have to find an ultimate source or an ultimate formula or an underlying mathematics that never changes you know. right and that comes from the concept of the uh, uh you know the uh medieval concept of god you know as a great eye you know the unchanging force right right right, right. but that that no, I'm not dissing God. Heaven forbid, I'm getting too old for that. <laughs> I'm not dissing God, but I'm just saying, why does God have to be stuck static? In, why does He have to be stuck in the yep. box?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the God box. Exactly. I mean, what it what what it, what it comes down to, and it's kind of funny. The shows sort of come full circle because we the the, fr- the first phone call that I got tonight, uh, we we were discussing this exact thing, and uh, and what we eventually agreed upon was that both science and religion are trying to take the mystery away. They're trying to deny the mystery and the cosmic giggle and the idea that, you know, that sometimes uh, the universe changes and sometimes it does so unexpectedly and improbably and uh, science at its root uh, is no different than religion, the big bang is no different than let there be light they 're both the hard swallow you know you have to you have to believe in uh, one fundamental miracle in order for everything else to fall into place and uh, uh both science and religion sort of deny those things equally i think and uh and to to both of their uh, uh to both of their demise, I think. I think it's what's really destroyed both of them.
3: And then, too, we've talked to people like Scott, you know, who's saying that the science is trying to, The military-industrial complex with the, 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 their scientific uh, employees are trying to actually change nature or influence their digitized nature. Right, right. Make the weather do what they
0: want. Control the planet fully, yeah. And I'm sure it extends to the star. You know, uh, Michio Kaku uh, talks about these different levels of civilization, and he talks about, you know, a, a level zero civilization will, have, uh, uh, will burn fossil fuels, for example. A level one civilization will harness uh, the energy of... A planet in other words they will somehow be able to, to generate uh, energy directly from the core of their own planet. a level two civilization will will be able to harness the energy of a star and uh, uh, and on and on and and and, and certainly uh, these uh, uh, these men and women will will not stop uh, uh, as long as they uh, have the means and the tools, and they don 't destroy themselves, they will continue to try to expand uh, the level of technology i mean that 's what uh, Terence was talking about this level of novelty uh, the universe is uh, increasing in novelty, but what what novelty is is complexity, and uh, uh, the universe began as a very simple thing whether you believe in the Big Bang or not most of the cosmology uh, ideas begin in a less complex state and then move towards complexity and if you look at the universe and the world right now we have a tremendously complex world and at least our local part of it our local universe here is very very complex we have uh, uh, technologies now that are expanding so fast that we can't even keep track of them and so Novelty is increasing and uh, complexity is increasing. The question is, uh, novelty theory doesn't predict what, what type of complexity will result, only that complexity will increase. So science is going to keep uh, doing its thing. It's going to keep uh, pushing the envelope, as it should. Uh, the question is, does it do it with good intent, with the heart, or only with the brain, only with the intellect and if, if we don't start to, m- to manage the, uh, the intellect, the, the explosion of technology, uh, if we don't start to manage it with wisdom and with intelligence from the heart, well then we will create a nightmare society. You know, We will create some Orwellian uh, nightmare that, that none of us want. But the other side of it is that is you know, it's going to get more complex one way or the other. The other side is, you know, we, we, we stand right on the border between that and paradise, too.
3: I think we, everybody, I think we what we've got to do, and some will say that this is almost sacrilegious or egotistical or whatever, but I really think we need to each begin to think about owning the universe you know because look at it this way where did the term universe come from mm-hmm. anyway where does where does something like infinity come from you know these are word forms that we've included in our language the universe the everything you know and they they don't just pop up these concepts you know they come from experiences so when we use the word universe you know so that that came from an experience that somebody had somewhere along the line in the his, history of our perception, for which they needed a, a word for them right. to describe it. You know, so they said universe. <clears throat> but the the experience came first, and the word came second. That's know? right. That's right. So in a, in that sense, this is what I'm trying to say: we own the universe because the actual term itself <laughs> came from where. You know, it came from an experience. Yeah. It came from an experience. So somebody experienced the universe, and and uh, therefore needed to jot it down.
0: Right. Had to be able to describe <laughs> it. Right. Well, Ken, and you know, you said before that there's this there's this intuitive idea of a of a central point from which things emanate, in it, so to speak. Well, it's us. It's you. You know, we all are that central point from which our universe emanates. It's all inside, and that's the that's one of the keys, I think. You know, if we look inside, we see just as much as we see when we look outside. And you know, you made me think. When it, you know, when you when you it's not it, it's uh, I don't think it was a, a sacrilegious statement thinking of owning the universe. I think because in our own world, that's where we live, in our universe. And you know, Robert Anton Wilson said one time, he said that you should think of reality as a plot that is run by a closely knit group of highly informed insiders, namely you and your friends. (laughs) (laughs) Right? In other words, if you're not the star of your play, if you're not the star of your novel, and this thing does have the mark of an editor all over it, by the way, as you and me always uh, uh, observe, um, if you're not the star of your novel, well, then you need to do some editing. And uh, the way to do that is to reinvent yourself through your imagination, like you and me always end up talking about, you know.
3: Oh, well, yeah, see, uh, you know, it isn't that hard for me to sit here on my chair in front of my computer, computer talking to you on the telephone, but between duties here, and I can, my mind can, can go anywhere, you know. Right. For instance, you know, cut loose your mind, let it go, go to Mars, <laughs> go to Mars, right. imagine Mars imagine how, uh, being in orbit around Mars and then just going down, 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 and then trust your vision as being a slice of pie, you know. <clears throat> so you're down on Mars and you're experiencing Mars and you're doing it through the power of your imagination, you know, and uh, allow that to take place because that that is not that invalid of an exercise. That's a valid exercise, and uh, uh, <clears throat> some might say, "Well, that's not jiving with my exercise." You know, so what?
0: that's right that's right you know we all come from these places of comfort and people don't like to leave their comfort zones but that's what it's all about is getting outside of your cultural uh, uh, indoctrination and your conditioning getting outside of that and being able to look at things from a different perspective so hey look uh i think we're gonna have to call it here my friend yep uh but uh hey thanks for uh chatting off uh just off off the cuff like that uh i didn't have a whole lot planned for tonight and you know I, we're moving the show here in a couple of weeks uh, to monday night's going to be a little bit earlier so uh um we'll uh we'll see how that goes but well
3: um nice talking and every time i come on i have no topic <laughs> so when ken <laughs> comes on there's no topic
0: <laughs> yeah we know we, 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 we typically don't know where it goes but oftentimes it goes it, it usually starts off strangely but it usually ends up in the same place and uh and i have no problem with that because i'm uh i'm I'm such a a great believer in the power of the human imagination and uh and the potential of the human spirit uh, and it's just a matter of uh, uh locating that and releasing it and uh being creative as you say and what is it you always told me, Kent there are two things required uh to be creative the first one is to declare yourself creative
3: and <laughs> <laughs> next thing. Do it.
0: <laughs> All right. All right, Kent. Well, as always, you've been doing it, and uh, I love you, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, tell, uh, tell the family I said hi, and we'll chat another time. Okay. All right, take care. Bye. All right, that was Kent Stedman from www.cyberspaceorbit.com, and uh, this is the Indigo Girls. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Got a tree. Rites of Passage, Galileo, and uh, speaking of passage, we just passed right through the show there. Kent was talking about how fast time goes, and yeah, I didn't really have a whole lot planned tonight, but uh, filled that three hours up pretty quickly, so anyway, uh, you've been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN for the last three hours, and in just a few minutes, my friend Carol Greenspan will be rolling in and playing some always interesting music for you on Sunday mornings on Jewish Spectrum. Uh, She'll be here in just a few minutes. And uh, uh, next week, don't forget to tune in. We'll have Cheryl Clapton in the studio with me for the whole show. And she'll be playing some live music and talking about life and times. And uh, it'll be a great, great... uh, fun show. I'm really looking forward to it. I saw Cheryl uh, yesterday at the Luna Fair, and she was fantastic, and uh, I look forward to spending some time with her on the air next week. And of course, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, Radio Orbit will be moving to Monday nights uh, in just a couple weeks. We'll be moving to the 11 p.m. till 2 a.m. time slot. And uh, looking forward to that as well. And hopefully any of you listeners here uh, on the Saturday Night uh, Crew uh, can also uh, have uh, your schedule free where you can listen on Monday nights. And I hope I don't lose any listeners uh, uh, by making that move. And, of course, uh, all the shows are always archived on the web at www.radioorbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. And uh, I put up everything there uh, ad nauseum, uh, so people can uh, check that stuff out as long as uh, as, long as the website's uh, there and the show is live and intact. I'll keep that stuff up as long as I can. Um, and uh, after we make that uh, make that change to Mondays, then we've got a lot of uh, a lot of great uh, new guests that are coming up. Um, so there's lots to look forward to. It's still going to be a real interesting year. Incredible stuff happening already every day, every week, amazing, amazing things happening. Uh, just a matter of uh, uh, putting your antenna up and going out there and looking for them and finding them because, uh, my gosh, uh, like Kent and I were talking about, the uh, at least our local part of the universe is really speeding up and uh, there are tremendous changes that are taking place in all areas of Endeavor and we... Uh, it 's easy to get caught up in the ones that are in our face all the time uh, through the uh, the mass media, uh, but regardless of whether it 's apparent uh, or in your field of perception or not, there really are tremendous tremendous changes that are taking place, and we 're right in the middle of them and uh, quite frankly i don 't think anybody really knows where it 's going, where this stuff is going to take us I have Uh, my own personal opinion, that most of the established institutions, most of the ideas that we uh, take for granted, that we take as normal, most of the concepts that we uh, are comfortable with, I have a feeling that most of those things will not be able to remain. I don't see the institutionalized establishment uh, as something that has a tremendous amount of longevity. And uh, in my perfectly frank opinion, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think that these are the uh, things that have worn out their welcome. Their quarter has now run out. They are old, outdated, and have brought us to the brink of catastrophe where we have nuclear weapons stockpiled like cordwood and all manner of nastiness uh, prepared to unleash on our fellow human beings and uh, not to mention the other life forms that live on this planet. And uh, so I don't see those things surviving. I don't think that they're going to destroy themselves, but I think they will be mitigated out uh, just like a bad idea is mitigated out. And I think that the the best idea wins. And uh, so uh, come up with some good ideas Use your own imagination and uh, see where it takes you, okay? In the meantime, uh, enjoy this last piece of music. This is Mary Gauthier with a song called Mercy Now. And this is Mike Hagan. You've been listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. I'll be back next week. Stick around for Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum in just a few minutes. <laughs>
5: my father could use a little mercy now the fruits of his labor falling right slowly on the
4: ground
5: his work is almost over it won't be long He won't be around I love my father He could use some mercy now My brother Could use a little mercy now This stranger to freedom he's shackled to his fear and his down the pain that he lives in it's almost more than living with a layout. I love my brother. Could use some mercy now A church in my country Could use a little mercy now As they sank into a poison pit It's gonna take forever to climb they carry the weight of the faithful who follow them down I love my church and country they could use some mercy now every day